0: I invite you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14. Jesus makes this uh, amazing statement. And he says um, to his disciples in this upper room discourse, is that it's really better that I go. It's better that I not stay here and that I send you the Holy Spirit instead. We we'll want to see uh, how that works out uh, in, this, in this passage. Uh, John uh, chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. I want you to look for three things. I want you to look for the intimacy of our fellowship with God. I want you to look at the loving obedience that we give to him. And then the otherworldly peace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherworldly peace. John 14, um, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. It is a stupendous promise. It is better that I go. It is more advantageous. It is more beneficial to you, he says to his disciples, that I go. Because I will send the Helper. The Holy Spirit would be poured out at Pentecost, and there would be a once and for all pouring out of the Spirit, the powerful, Indwelling, life-changing spirit, as powerful and present today as in that day of Pentecost with the signs and wonders. The spirit of God in you. The word here uh, in the Greek language is uh, uh, parakletos, or, or we sometimes would say paraclete. And, and the, the, the two words that make up that longer Greek word really have this meaning, called uh, to one's side and to be an aid. Called to one's side for the purpose of being an aid or a help. The Holy Spirit called to your side to help you, to be with you. Now in the 13th century there was a gentleman by the name of Wycliffe, um, who uh, had uh, did great translation work. A- and th- this was in the late 1300s. Um, he translated this word, uh, parakletos, as, as, as comforter. And the authorized version picks up that same understanding, that same translation, calling uh, the spirit the comforter. Now, one thing you have to keep in mind. The comforter is not simply someone who consoles you, a friend of yours who may put his or her arm around you and kind of give you a squeeze when you're going through a tough time. It is not a consolation so much. The word instead um, had the notion... In Wycliffe's mind, and in the mind of the translators of the Authorized Version, the Latin behind the word "comfort," as the word was used then, as well in English, uh, "cum fortari," excuse my pronunciation, "cum fortari," which means "with strength." The word "comfort" uh, for those in the um, in that period of time, 13, uh, 14th, 15th, 16th century, is come or uh, with strength. The helper that comes with strength. The comforter who comes with strength. And so we can look at it this way. The Holy Spirit is the one who is called to your side to strengthen you. Called to your side to strengthen you, to be your encourager, your helper, at your side to strengthen you. Number one, the Spirit is called to your side to strengthen you. The second thing is Jesus calls this comforter another comforter, another helper. Meaning that as Jesus himself had, had been strength to his disciples. Had encouraged them, had given them strength. So the Holy Spirit would be with you and me Personally to strengthen us in in the difficult things God has for us. He won't be taken from you. It is a horrible thing to see someone who has lived their life believing that they are a Christian and then at a moment in time believe that the Holy Spirit has been taken away. He doesn't work that way. He is given, Jesus says here, to be with you forever. Some days you sense His calm and bright presence and what glorious, gifted days they are. And it is easy to believe that the Spirit is with you. Other days when it's not so evident. In any case... We are not content this morning and we are not content throughout this series of messages on the Holy Spirit simply to have our understanding increased, maybe tweaked a little bit, maybe sharpened a little bit. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to encounter Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Spirit, to know his comfort. To know His strength, the one who has come aside you, who will not be taken away, and is your strength. There are three things that we want to look at from this text. You can, books have been written on this text. We're not going to do that today. Just these three things. The intimate fellowship that we have with God through the Spirit. The loving obedience that the Spirit, to which the Spirit leads us and to which we are committed. Loving obedience. And then finally that other worldly peace. It is intimate fellowship. Well how close is that? What does that mean? Intimate fellowship. It is nothing less than what Jesus says in verse 30. You in, in Him. You in me and me in you. A a mutual indwelling. You uh, in Christ. You in Christ. Now, what does this mean? He is certainly our covenant representative, our covenant head, even as all died in Adam, the first covenant head, and the second Adam, the second covenant head. Those who believe in him who are called are given life. He is represented. We are represented in him an agent goes into a general manager's office in the major leagues and haggles over a document, a contract, and he works face to face with that general manager, wins a deal, and that is then the the that means the bucks roll to the ball player. He was a representative, a head, if you will. And what he what he worked with that general manager the ball player benefits from. So you benefit from Jesus because you're in Him in very specific ways. Jesus came to this earth and lived an absolutely perfect life. It's called His active obedience. And while it is difficult for us to get this, that's yours too because you are in Him. And so reckoned to you is the perfection of Jesus' life. Jesus suffered, not for his own sins, but he suffered for your sins. Paying all of the penalty for what you have done if you're trusting in him. That means the father wakes up, you wake up early in the morning to the father's smile. Can you get that? Because your sins have been paid for. You went to the cross with him. You were there when they crucified your Lord. And he put sins to death so that you can put sins to death. He was buried in a tomb. And you, t- you died and two and were buried with him to sin's punishment and power. That sin does not any longer have control over you. You were raised with him to new life. And so you are not a victim to the sins that you at, time, at times think control you. How does the Bible identify you? How does the Bible, what does the Bible call you who believe in Jesus? More than anything else throughout the New Testament. In fact, Dane Ortland has counted them up for us and says around 200 times it says that we are called we are identified as those in him in christ we are so susceptible to looking at ourselves and judging ourselves on the basis and others on the basis of outward things our size our shape our color our education and we compare how are we doing how are we measuring up we can also look so easily at the things that we have done. We can look at our repeated failures and feel so bummed out about them. Or take a matter of pride, feeling pride in the things that we've done well. In your heart, you may be aware of, the, of wicked things. That, and that you think somehow identifies you. That, that, that is your identity. So what are we saying here? Uh, you, uh, are, you are in Christ. Christ. Drill down in your heart. Drill down in your person. Past all the things on the surface, and at the core of your identity, this is what you find: not someone wrapped with guilt or pride, but you find someone in Christ. Your basic core identity. You walk in the light of His glory and the power of the Spirit. Trust not what you feel, but what is real. You would be set free if you did that. Trust what is real and not just what you feel. A great prayer, one of the lines in the Valley of Vision is this, Lord, help me to believe before I feel. You are in Christ. And then the second part of that, and I in you, and Christ in you, Christ himself in you by the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the helper, has come alongside you in strength, with strength. He's in you with strength. You see, this is not just about knowing doctrine. It is about knowing Jesus experientially, personally, deeply, knowing that, that uh, he, see what it says here, you know him, you know him for, this is the reason, this is how you know him, for he will be with you and he will be in you. You know him because he's in you. You've encountered him, his strength and your weakness. You've encountered him as, you, as he has glorified the Savior before your vision. This is the, this is the work of the Spirit. And you have found your home amazingly with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've become the dwelling place of God. You have become the dwelling place of God. And in this text, it is not about what? It is not about the the Spirit dwelling in the church as a whole. It is not about the Spirit dwelling in the New Jerusalem that will come down and and, and we will be collected all together as the dwelling place of God. No, this is a personalized. You are the dwelling, you are the dwelling place of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It is a felt reality. Well, if this is all true, what happens when you get that close? We said it's close, Christ in us, we in him. What happens when you get that close? Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, a wonderful account of the children encountering Aslan. Many of you have heard this, but I want the little ones among us to hear it, maybe for the first time. All of us need to hear it. Uh, the children uh, meet Aslan. He is described, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'd feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Encountering this Aslan, this king, you cannot remain self-satisfied when you've seen God. And you can't be bored with the gospel when you've seen God like this. You can't be casual and apathetic when you've seen God like this. You can't pretend like Ananias and Sapphira tried and they were carried out and buried. We're dealing with the Holy Spirit whose life-changing power is at work in you. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about a story from uh, Jaya pa- Packer's preface. I'm going to read it now. <laughs> okay. I didn't do a very good job a couple of weeks ago. Listen to this. This is, what, this is a, 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 written in, in 1908. Some missionaries in Manchuria wrote home as follows. A power has come into the church that we cannot control even if we would. It is a miracle for stolid, that means wooden or inactive. It is a miracle for stolid, self-righteous John Chinaman, and I would say John and John American as well. Um, It is a miracle for stolid, self-righteous John Chinaman to go out of his way to confess to sins that no torture could force from him. For a Chinaman to demean himself to crave weeping, the prayers of his fellow, um, the prayers of his fellow believers is beyond all human explanations. Perhaps you will say it's sort of a religious hysteria. So some of us did. But here we are, about 60 Scottish and Irish Presbyterians who have seen it. All shades of temperament. And much as many of us shrank from it at first, everyone who has seen and heard it, heard what we have every day last week, is certain. Every one of us is certain there is only one explanation. That it is God's Holy Spirit manifesting Himself. One clause of the creed that lives before us all in its inevitable, awful solemnity is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Backer identified three things that flowed out of that experience with the Spirit. And first of all, there's an overturning of self-righteousness. No more desire to, to defend your record and say, well, look at you. How aboutism, I think they call it these days. That's not about what's not living with the Spirit. And the second thing is that the Spirit got specific with people's consciences. There are things to confess, things to articulate to another and to God. And the third thing is the Spirit gave no rest until... The persons did confess and change one of the great things that that one of the great things themes that comes through our tradition our reformed tradition guys like bb warfield ji packer and sinclair ferguson they all say something very like very much like this the closer the spirit brings you to god the clearer you see your own faults the closer The Spirit brings you to God the clearer you see your own faults. This is the gospel paradox, that as you grow as a Christian, you repent more because you're humble, but you do actually sin less. You're improving, but you repent more as you humbly and actually sin less. Isaiah 57, thus says, The one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah goes on to say that there are two fruits that flow out of this, and one of them, one of them is... The fruit of obedience, this confession leads to obedience. And the second one is that it leads to peace. And that's exactly where John uh, chapter six, uh, John chapter 14 is taking us. The next step, the next, the next thing um, after this intimate fellowship with God is loving obedience. And we could say, of course you obey uh, John, John, uh, fourteen, verse fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Of course, that's true. The best obedient evidence that we love Jesus is obeying his commands. And we also see that that from that obedience um, also then brings greater intimacy with God. In verse twenty-one, look, listen to this: uh, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay, we got that. Uh, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. The one who keeps my word, I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. You will see more and more of Jesus. The more humble you are, the more you confess your sins, the more you walk in righteousness, the more you see of Jesus. The harder your heart, the less you confess to the Lord, your vision is clouded. You can't see. Loving obedience. Uh, we love and obey Jesus because he loves us, not to make him, us love, him, not to make him love us more. Remember that new command that we talked about in in John 13. It is summarized in verses 34 and 35 this way. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, You are also to love one another. Uh, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Jesus gave a very practical example of what that love looks like. It looks like it looks like Jesus washing his disciples feet. (laughs) And and and, uh, that was that was servant work. It was smelly work. Uh, These these disciples were going to turn on him. Uh, Peter was going to deny him. Uh, Judas was going to. Well, Judas was gone by that time. But uh, they were they were they were going to turn on him. And he's there washing their feet. Now, it's not that just that you, of, that you, of course, want to obey and do obey. Put it a little bit stronger. You can't not obey. you hear that? You can't not obey. You want to. You see, the Comforter comes alongside you and he gives you strength. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ constrains me. It controls me. It compels me. I cannot receive the love of Christ and be unmoved. The Spirit shows the beauty of pure holiness. And when we see pure holiness in Jesus, our own desires are changed. And our own will is bent towards His beauty. It can't help but be that way. So we think... One of the things that that blocks our path, you know, uh, whose feet are you called to wash? Whose feet are you called to wash? Who are you called to love? The people closest to you for sure. To serve them and put their needs before your own. And there are many times when you say, I just can't wash their feet. They're too smelly. They're too yucky. And what we are really saying is that mine aren't. We're really saying, as we look at their smelly feet and smell their smelly feet, I'm not like that. I'm better than that. I'm superior. Therefore, I don't have to be their servant and wash their feet. And here's where we pray for the fresh breeze of the Spirit of Christ. Give me a fresh sight of both Jesus and myself. A fresh sight of Jesus and myself. Tozer puts it this way, the Holy Spirit gives fresh sights of Christ. That's his job, to give fresh sights of Christ. Who washed your feet at Calvary and laid down his life for your stinky feet and your stinky body and your stinky soul to set you free to be a person of love. The Comforter comes alongside with strength, in that intimate fellowship, in that loving obedience, and finally, in that, and briefly, in that otherworldly peace—not as, not as this world gives peace, but Jesus' peace. Just one moment on that. Um, how does the world give peace? One day, one way that it gives peace is by is by having fulfillment centers. <laughs> That's a store. I think it's Amazon. I'm not sure exactly, but that's a full. It's not called a call store. It's called a fulfillment center. You get it three times faster. The order is better. You get less wrong wrong deliveries. You get it the same day. They decrease uh, in in fulfillment costs. The costs are low. Now you want it. You get it. You get a little bit of rush when you receive it, when you, the doorbell rings or whatever, you see that package there, you get a little rush for a couple of hours, and then what happens? You've got to get another piece of fulfillment. The shelf life for bought fulfillment is about five minutes. And then you've got to get some more. Just think, think about what... What, what do you believe will give you fulfillment? Will it be just being left alone for a while? Will it be being entertained? Do you find peace at the bottom of a bottle? Kids, how do you find peace? Is it because when kids like you at school, well, then that makes everything okay? Or when you do well at school, that you're being happy about it? Is that all is that all it's about? God says um, he gives Peace, and and, uh, peace not as the world gives, but this is the kind of peace we get from Jesus. The knowledge that God is at peace with you. That's the greatest, greatest peace you can have, the knowledge that God is at peace with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious, don't be fearful. Let not your hearts be troubled. Nothing can give you greater peace than knowing that God is at home with you right now. Nothing can give you better peace Nothing can calm your fears, give you poise in the midst of troubles. Nothing can guard your hearts and minds against the tyranny of anxiety, but knowing that God is at home with you right now. I'm going away, Jesus said, and that's better because he's leaving the comforter who comes alongside with strength. Uh, Judas asked the question, Lord, how can you show yourself to us and not to the world? Did you notice Jesus answered, if anyone, anyone, anyone in this room, anyone in the hearing of my voice, anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is a wide-open invitation. Will you lay down rebellion and come to the Lord for forgiveness and for the gift of the Spirit to live a life to glorify Him? Let's pray. Father, we, we uh, thank You for um, the hope that we have in Your Word. Um, we pray for the ministry of Your Spirit as the Word um, uh, saturates our hearts. And, and now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, we pray that Your Spirit would work in us. We in Christ, Christ by the Spirit in us, we pray in His name. Amen.